History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 340th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Hey, Kelly. How are you doing over there? I'm a wee bit tired. <laughs> I think we're both a wee bit tired. We just got back from a weekend of driving and driving and driving some more with a little bit of ghost hunting on top. And doing an amazing ghost hunt that we thoroughly enjoyed. Yes, this episode we are featuring the Exchange Hotel, which is in Virginia, and this was suggested by Myra Wheeler. And on top of that, Myra said, hey, I'm going to be attending this ghost hunt that's going to be featuring Daryl Marston from Ghost Hunters. And she posted it in the Spectacular Crew and was like, who wants to join me? And Kelly and I, I guess, what, were we crazy? <laughs> we have been jonesing to get out and do another investigation. Our current vacation plans had been disrupted by COVID. And when that opportunity came up, I just said, hey, it's a long drive, about 13 hours, but we could do it. Let's go. <laughs> and then we get home and we're like, we're too old for this. <laughs> travel that far we in do such that. a short time. We but do that all the fan. time. We do. We do. Well, we we do it and then have a month or so to forget, <laughs> forget and then do it again. <laughs> See, Kelly, you can relate to this because you have two children. So you went through that horrible childbirth the first time and oh, then God. you forgot about it and did it again. <laughs> I guess you can kind of relate it to that, but <laughs> no, this was much easier. <laughs> so anyway, we had a fabulous time. This episode's going to be a little different because I wanted to get it posted right away. And obviously we both work full time. It's hard for us to get time in order to record and then me have enough time to edit and everything. So we recorded the bulk of this in the car. So you're going to hear that with a little bit of background noise. Right. Hopefully it's not too difficult to hear. I've been editing it and it actually sounds fairly good. You can just hear a little bit of the road action. Well, you are the edit queen. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you are. And I just want to say that for the location, our hosts, everything was amazing. It was such a fantastic investigation. We had such a great time. They were very informative. They weren't over the top. They were just very down to earth. And gave us a lot of the background information, which was fantastic. We were also joined by a medium, which was amazing also to get that additional feedback on things that, you know, perhaps we wouldn't have known otherwise. I agree. And it was really cool because we got to have not only our listener Myra there with her boyfriend, Ken, who we had also done the St. Augustine Lighthouse investigation with, but then Whitney Zahar, who's joined me on, I think, four episodes, drove over and met up with us, too. So it there were five fantastic. of us spookies. Yes, it was fantastic. And it was so nice to finally meet Whitney in person mm -hmm. and again, join up with Myra and Ken again. It was just a really fun time overall. Well, before we get into sharing all of that with you, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Alan with an A and an N at the end, Jessica, Buck, Rhonda with an R and an H, 
Ellie with an IE, CB, and Mary Lou. Thanks for joining us in the crew, guys. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Darren Cook. St. Bravo's Cathedral in Ghent, Belgium, decided that it was time to add a new visitor center. Because of the history connected to this site, archaeologists excavated the area first, and they found something that they were not expecting. Beneath the cathedral, they found bone walls. There were nine of them, and they were fashioned mostly from adult thigh bones and shin bones. These were walls of leg bones, and they encased an ossuary in similar fashion as the catacombs of Paris. The residents of Ghent had dug up some burial grounds, and they needed some place to store these old skeletal remains, and this is what they chose to do. The lead archaeologist said of Belgium, We have never seen structures like walls, which are intentionally built with human bones. Parts of skulls and smaller bones were mixed into the walls, but oddly, no arm bones are anywhere in the walls. One has to wonder where they went. Full skeletons are buried in a layer of dirt above the bone walls. Carbon dating places the bones to the late 15th century. According to an article in Live Science, the bones were going to be removed to a research facility. Well, we all know how that's going to go. You just shouldn't disturb those bones yet again. Whether or not hauntings will erupt, one thing that is sure is that walls made from bones certainly is odd. the lights. The party's just getting started. And now, this month in history. In the month of June, on the 15th of 1955, there was an atomic emergency civil defense drill. After World War II, America entered a time known as the Cold War. Basic description of a very complicated time is that this was basically the United States and the Soviet Union facing off against each other in a power struggle, and this lasted for decades. The Soviet Union was communist, and this made them untrustworthy, even though we'd been allies during World War II. This tension came out through an arms race with atomic and nuclear weapons. In 1955, it was decided to run Operation Alert 1955. This would be a test to determine our readiness and was so real that even President Eisenhower was whisked away to a hidden location. 55 cities were targeted, plus six cities and territories. Several cities had no advanced warning. The New York Times reported, Vital centers of the nation were under the assumed blight of radioactive fallout from hydrogen bombs that could paralyze them for weeks. In a recapitulation tonight, the Federal Civil Defense Administration estimated assumed casualties at 5 million killed and almost 5 million injured. It also estimated that 10 million persons had been made homeless, creating serious welfare problems. The Times added that the results of the test ranged from indifference and confusion in some cities to well-disciplined drills and even evacuations. People who refused to participate were arrested. Overall, the drill was considered a success. The Exchange Hotel started out as a tavern along the railroad tracks in the quaint town of Gordonsville in Virginia. This would eventually become a forerunner to larger railroad hotels. As the Civil War erupted, the centralized location of the hotel and its proximity to the tracks made it the perfect spot for a hospital. Soldiers lost limbs here and died here. 
more than 70,000 sick and wounded pass through these doors. Perhaps that is why this location has a reputation for being haunted. Join us, some of our spectacular crew, and Daryl Marston of Annie's Ghost Hunters as we explore the history and hauntings of the Exchange Hotel. In 1839, five acres of land near the train depot was purchased by James Hunter. The Lewis Railroad was building a track from Richmond to Gordonsville at the time, and this would be a prime location. In 1840, Richard Amahandro built a tavern on part of the land near the depot, and he would eventually buy the land from Hunter in 1849. The tavern not only served up alcohol, but it became widely known for its fried chicken, and it started selling it to the people on the train when they stopped at the depot. The Omohundro Tavern burned in 1859. The building was quickly rebuilt with the addition of porches, and this would become the Exchange Hotel. It was built in 1860 in the Greek Revival architectural style. In March of 1862, the Confederate States of America took over the hotel because of its strategic location, and this became part of the Gordonsville Receiving Hospital. There were many battles in the area, and the wounded would be brought from nearby battlefields such as Cedar Mountain, Chancellorville, Trevilian Station, Mine Run, Brandy Station, and the Wilderness. This location treated mostly Confederate soldiers, but 26 Union soldiers died here. By the Civil War's end, 70,000 men had been treated here and 700 would be buried on the nearby grounds and eventually exhumed and moved. Bodies were stacked up in the train depot to be sent elsewhere or to be kept until buried. During Reconstruction, the hotel would become the Freedmen's Bureau Hospital and serve newly freed slaves. The building returned to its roots in 1870 and became the Exchange Hotel, running until the 1940s. It would serve for a time as a boarding house and then apartments. It was then left abandoned and fell into disrepair until Historic Gordonsville, Inc. acquired and restored the hotel in the 1970s. They transformed it into what it is today, the Exchange Hotel Civil War Museum. It's open for tours, both historic and ghost. We had the opportunity to join a ghost hunt here with Daryl Marston of Ghost Hunters leading the way. Here's what happened. We are driving on our way back to Florida from our investigation that we did at the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia. So you may hear a little bit of driving noises in the background and such, but we thought it'd be kind of fun to do the recording of the main part of the show while we were driving. So first of all, we started off with meeting for dinner at the Wellhung Vineyard. Yeah, that was an interesting name. They had very cute t-shirts and other items for sale. And the the well-hung were like men's hairy legs with like grapes hanging. (laughs) I just know they had a lot of boxer shorts. And I believe that uh, Whitney bought a pair for her husband. So we met Whitney and also Myra and her boyfriend, Ken. So there were going to be five of us for the investigation. We all had a lovely dinner there. If you're ever in Gordonsville for some reason definitely check out the well-hung vineyard it was awesome food and the really cool thing about it is it was literally just down the hill from the exchange hotel we could see it from where we were sitting out on the patio and it definitely it's not a really big place did you think it was real big no not at all it's actually quite a small building 
And it's had a variety of uses through all of the years. When we got there, there were, I think we had about 10 of us all together that we're going to be investigating. And then there were four people who work for the hotel. And that would be Tracy and Ray. And I can't remember the name of the two guys. I know one of them was the president, but they've had a lot of experiences there too. We also, of course, had the ghost hunter, Daryl Marston there. He was the main event, I guess you could say. Really, really nice guy, down to earth, very genuine. What did you think of him? I really enjoyed him. Nothing's over the top. He's just very matter of fact and tries to debunk stuff. So it it was a really good investigation overall. And then we also had a psychic medium join us. Her name is Sky Ray and her husband was there as well. And she had actually gone through the place before we got there. She had never been there before, didn't know anything about it. She did a reading on the place, and then when we got done with the entire evening, she shared what her initial readings had been and then kind of compared it to some of the experiences that we had had. And if it and if it correlated, if it was able to relate to our experiences. So the first thing they did is they had us do kind of a little intro at the beginning. We didn't talk a whole lot about the history, just a little basic history. I'm going to share that from Tracy. So the Exchange Hotel and Civil War Medical Museum um, is run by Historic Gordonsville Incorporated. And the museum is set up as a timeline of events from the beginning of right before it was a hotel up until after the Civil War when it was a Freedmen's Bureau. It was a tavern, a hotel, uh, a Civil War hospital, a Freedmen's Bureau, then went back to a hotel for a little while, and then uh, it was privately owned as a, as a home for families there for a while. It sat abandoned for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. And then in 1971, Historic Gordonsville Incorporated took it over, and they opened it as a museum in 1989. There's a lot of history here, a lot to learn. So if you are interested in Civil War history, medical history, Freedmen's Bureau, things like that, please come during the day when we're open for tour. We haven't opened yet, but we will soon. So please feel free to come back and take a tour, and you'll learn a lot. And then we had Daryl do a little bit of a talk, kind of introduced himself, talked a little bit about himself and the show and that kind of thing. So if you have any questions about Ghost Hunters, feel free to ask what's going on, where we're at, what we're doing. Um, that day of the season just passed. We just wrapped season two in February. Um, season finale was just last Wednesday. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw Waverly. Amazing episode. Great time. Uh, but like I said, any questions? Yeah, I mean, for I know some of you I've, I've met before. I think about you guys. Like, seriously, um, I don't know if anybody knows too much about my background. I've been investigating for almost 16 years now. I got into the paranormal by complete accident. I was never a paranormal person before 2005. Um, I went to an investigation. I got invited to it, and I got hooked. Uh, it, was at Fort, it was at Fort Delaware, um, literally my backyard. Fort Delaware? Yeah, Fort Delaware. It's an island um, off the Delaware, uh, on the Delaware River. Yeah, keep out child, exactly. And it was a prison uh, war camp during the uh, Civil War for the Confederates. Uh, I went there, it was a Halloween event, and I saw my first apparition on my first investigation ever there. And I was hooked. I then left there, said I gotta figure out how I'm gonna do this, and I started out like everybody else. 
going to graveyards and local places and investigating them and that's kind of how I met my wife we were dating at the time. She got into it and started my own group in 2011, Breaking Paranormal. And then from there, it kind of grew into a live stream podcast world, which I'm co-owner of Paranormal Warehouse. My actual, my, my business partner is the building over there right now, uh, which is the largest uh, paranormal live streaming network in the world, uh, which is over 500,000 followers just on Facebook alone, plus Ghost Hunters. Um, I started Ghost Hunters, the new, the new show, the new season, the new episodes, uh, almost two years ago now, and um, been doing that ever since. And right now we're on hiatus because of the COVID and all that, trying to figure out how they're going to do this now. I have two questions. Yeah. The first is I'm sure people always ask you like, where's your favorite place or where's the most haunted? I'd like to know if you've had what you would consider your most profound experience and where yeah. that would be. And then the other question is, have you ever seen a spirit manifesting as just like a color? I could show you a, a clip on my phone, just a second here. Uh, most craziest things that ever happened to me, I've had a couple, a couple on the show, a couple off the show. Off the show, I was in a, an investigation at a place called the Anderson Hotel in Kentucky, and something, I'm 220 pounds, something picked me up like a child and threw me across oh, the room to, wow. to a chair. And I still to this day don't know what it was. I got up, got my wits about me, and I left. <laughs> and went back about two months later just to figure out what it was and didn't have that same experience. So I don't know what it was, or somebody was in there doing stuff they shouldn't have been done doing, but uh, yeah, that happened. But on the show would probably be two places, it would be Galena, Illinois, uh, Alaska, where if you've watched my Alaska episode, I am upstairs in the hotel, I hear something charging down the hall, and I have a body cam on, and you can see on my body cam this apparition pop out two times. I saw it with my own eyes, but when I saw it, it's pitch black in there. You're seeing on IR. Yeah. I'm seeing a black mass just running yeah. at me. I didn't know if it was a person, an animal, because it was stomping. It stomped so loud that it scared our sound girl and our producer so bad on the floor below us, they almost ran out of the building. Wow. I didn't know what it was. And I remember jumping back into the room and almost knocking Mustafa over. He was behind me. And I remember going right back out there and like getting my wits back to do something to charge me. And thank God I had that camera on. Now everybody in the last few months since that aired owns body cams, right? But um, I'm sorry, did I answer both your questions? And then the other one is a spirit manifesting as a color. Oh yeah, um, I'll show you a clip on my phone. Um, wait, pull it up. This would be in Fort Stanton, New Mexico. Find it. Uh, yes. This is something we call on what's called the uh, on the, the EMCCD camera, which is electron multiplying camera. Which is people don't realize that camera has been around since the '60s. It's been used by the military and NASA and the scientific field to capture single photon events. Thank you. <laughs> and this is what it actually looked like before it got edited to the show. It looked completely different. I mean, you saw on the show what it looked like, but this just had a whole different look about it. I'll watch to your right. Watch, see the shadow come out and watch. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, oh yeah, my goodness. Wow. That's whatever it was backing out of the mm -hmm. frame. Mm -hmm. It's almost electric. Yeah. Yeah, that's a photon. That's mm -hmm. actual photon camera that's capturing that. Wow. Yeah. That is very interesting. Anybody else want to see it? 
Oh, sure. Mm -mm. Something's lively. Yeah, he's been ghost hunting for, I think he said, 16 years. And I love listening to his story, Kelly, because this is a guy who wasn't into the paranormal, didn't have a whole lot of interest in it. And like he said, he just went and did a ghost hunt and bam, he was in it for life. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Finding the perfect gift for dad is tough, but I think I found the perfect thing. And this is a really meaningful gift, especially with the way many of us have had to keep distant from our older family members. Well, I know that means this can't be socks and underwear. Nope, it's story worth. Isn't that the gift that you got for your mom? Yes, and it's been so fun to watch my mom tell her life story over the last couple of months. I definitely know you've had fun either making up your own questions each week or going with the ones that StoryWorth has created. Yeah, every week StoryWorth emails my mom her question. I get an email letting me know what the question will be and checking to see if I want to change it. Then I get an email with my mom's answer. And what's really special is that after one year, StoryWorth compiles every answered question and photo you've chosen to include it into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. It really is a gift for the whole family. I know I would have loved to have this for my grandparents. What's been your favorite answer? This is for both of my folks, and that story is how they met. They both ended up in the same location with other people, but ended up going home together and talking all night long and realizing that they wanted to get married. So basically, they hadn't even been on a date yet, and they already knew they were going to get married to each other. So give your dad the most meaningful gift this year with StoryWorth. Get started right away without the need for shipping by going to StoryWorth.com slash HistoryGhostBump. You'll get 10 bucks off your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com slash HistoryGhostBump for $10 off. Mort's not a dad yet, but maybe we should get him StoryWorth since he is the caretaker of the bodies in the cemetery. You know, dad to the dead. I'm the bone daddy. Sky introduced herself and talked a little bit about how she has developed her psychic abilities and that kind of thing. She actually came up to Kelly before we did the whole introduction and started to get things going and gave her a little bit of a reading. So that was interesting. I've been recently um, found. Daryl and Ray found me. I've been, you know, connecting with your question, networking over the last eight months. I started out online as a networking business um, with my artistic passion. I, I started as actually doing makeup online and it wow. got me into my full purpose, which I've been a psychic medium. I was born this way. I've been doing this work for 25 plus years. I've had a lot of major career changes. Traditional, I was um, in the military and served for four full years. I was active duty recruiter. I was, I went to school for my bachelor's of science. I always wanted to help people. I always wanted to heal people, right? We'd be here all day if I talked about my whole life, but I got connected <laughs> with some uh, very well-known psychic mediums and I've been working with them. Um, one is uh, Thomas John. I actually took an entrepreneur business class because I wanted to learn how to network, right? I wanted to see how I could use my gifts to help people and help maybe spirits, you know, be put to rest, coming to locations, connecting with people like Daryl and Ray and uh, connecting with people like yourselves that love the para, you know, community. I just, I'm excited to be out and about and to connect with you guys to share some uh, experiences with you tonight. 
and hopefully find some some more answers or pieces to the puzzle that maybe we don't know or we can't find with evidence you know and see what happens but it's nice to meet everybody thank you so kelly what was the first place that we started investigating that was the kitchen area and also the caretaker's house it was one building and a lot of the servants, well, that's essentially where the cooking would happen. And then they'd bring the food over to the main, the hotel, the main house. I mean, it, that location serves so many different purposes. Yeah. So when you walk in, the, the first little area that we were in kind of looked like it still, it was just kind of a, a jumble of stuff, maybe a little bit of storage and everything. Then we went back into a further room, which had the fireplace in it. This is where they would have cooked a lot of the food, done a lot of the preparation. There was a side door there that would have been open so that they could t- transport the food back and forth. There were some stairs that led up to two bedrooms and what is now a bathroom today. I'm not sure exactly what the bathroom would have been back in the back at that time, but there were these two other bedrooms up there. Tracy shares with us the process of taking the food from the kitchen over to the main house. You guys, this is the kitchen house. Um, This is the oldest building on the property. It was used during when the hotel was actually a tavern. Mm -hmm. The servants would cook chicken here and meals to carry over to the tavern. And this door doesn't open but if you could open this door you would see directly in front of you the door that goes into the main house and they would carry the chicken across story has it that they had to whistle on the way over they had to carry the chicken on the <coughs> and they had the whistle on the way over the lady that ran the the tavern that was in charge of all the cooks she had them whistle so that she would know they weren't eating the chicken on the way over <laughs> they had to carry it on their heads so that she would know they weren't putting it in their pocket Certain whistles meant certain things, like if the chicken wasn't as hot as it should be, a certain whistle, you know, would be heard. During the war, this was also used as a brothel. Upstairs are two bedrooms. In those rooms upstairs, we call her Olivia, and Olivia actually is still here with us. She likes the men. If We have had many men get touched here. Actually, AJ was working yesterday, and he, his butt got touched. <laughs> Derek was here. This was a couple of years ago, and full frontal grab, you know, and, and he was like, whoa, what in the world is going on? But there have been many reports of people being touched inappropriately about her, the men, anyway. The other room is called Major Richard's room. Major Richard's, he, he does not like people being here. Well, Daryl, you said you heard somebody run down the stairs yeah, we were, uh, last time we were here, which was, I believe, early February, um, we were, you know, it was myself, Mustafa, Rochelle, and Brian, and we were all kind of split up with different teams, and we were, I was sitting right there, and there was a, a team in there, a little group in here with me, probably about the size, and I think there was, Mustafa was upstairs with a couple of the people, and uh, they heard something run. We had the, the uh, EDI Plus was sitting, I believe it was sitting right here, and we had a motion detector sitting on the stairs, pointing toward the wall. And we heard something run down the stairs, the motion detector went off, and then the EDI Plus went off that was sitting right there. And can't explain it. They heard it run from upstairs, and we heard it run down the stairs. Mm-hmm. There's also another story. One of the girls that worked here, you know, back, back in the 1800s, you know, the ladies had to do something to make money. You know, their husbands were gone off to war. They they were struggling to make ends meet. You know, a lot of soldiers did not get paid one time anyway. Some didn't get paid at all. 
So they had to do anything they could to make ends meet. So there was a lady who was working. Her husband found out. He beat her up in this room. She ran up the stairs. He chased her up the stairs, caught her mid-stair, and killed her here on the stairs. Jesus. And we, but we don't know how. You know, she got shot or yeah, stabbed. We don't know. Okay. Many people have picked up a little boy in here as well. One night, I spent the night here. It was my first night spending the night here. Yeah. And I was with two other ladies. Well, lo and behold, they went to sleep before I did. And, you know, here I am stuck listening to everything that's going on. And um, I was a little uneasy. I finally closed my eyes about 4.30 in the morning. And a few minutes later, they just had a full-blown party downstairs. I could hear glasses clinking, music playing, people talking. You know, I'm like, my God, what are you doing? You know, but they just had a full-blown party. So that's my personal experience here. Now, the, the first time I was ever in this building, I heard a man give like a full sentence and it sounded like he was given an order. I was here with a girl named Lindsay and she heard it too and we were just like, what did he say? Because yeah, we thought it was somebody actually talking, but there was nobody in there that was like talking. So so we were all kind of sitting in a circle. I was standing because we'd been driving for two days. So I was like, I just want to stand for a while. And I was actually leaning against the door that they would take the food and everything through. And a lot of people were feeling an energy coming off of the wall that I was leaning up against. And as I like to say, I'm as psychic as a rock or as sensitive as a rock. So I wasn't feeling anything coming off of that. Daryl had a piece of equipment that they use on the ghost hunters. Can you remember what that was called, Kelly? Yeah, I don't I don't remember the specifics of what it was, but it keeps the temperature. It also can tell if there's a change in the pressure in the room. Kind of like when you're flying in a plane, how you have a different pressure and it also senses vibration so if it's sitting on a table or on the floor and something causes it to move all these lights will light up on it and it has different lights too that represent different things like one light will turn blue another light will turn red kind of depending upon negative or positive pressure and that kind of thing and then it has a reading for the temperature we actually had a little bit of an exchange where that did light up a couple of times which made us feel like something was in the room As we've been doing these investigations, Kelly, I've been getting more of a feeling that, yes, indeed, you are sensitive. And this evening, we're going to have a lot of things and interactions that happen, especially because we have the psychic medium with us as well, where it kind of validates my feelings that you are a little bit sensitive about this kind of stuff. And one of the first things that you felt like you experienced was... A little boy that was in that kitchen area, and he, he seemed kind of mischievous. He, I kept feeling like he was coming to the one side of me, and there was a piece of furniture, and I wasn't really paying attention to the furniture. I'm not sure if it was a desk or what, but there was essentially a cubby area underneath. And even though he was taller than the cubby, it was like he was going into the hole and kind of peeking out like, Haha, I'm right here. And then he would go across the room over by Sky, the medium. So it was just, it was really odd. I kept kind of tilting my head and looking, but I never felt anything, but I just got this presence of him. And the thing about Kelly is that she doesn't say anything aloud to anybody. She just kind of whispered to me, I feel like there's a little boy over here on my side. And the way this was, is I was standing against the door and then Kelly was sitting in a chair that was to my left. And then there was this table or a desk something and then Daryl was sitting in a chair on the other side of that 
on this table, they had a recorder. There were recorders all around the room. And of course, I had my handy dandy one on me. So there was this little recorder that's sitting on that desk that's between the two of them. And Whitney said that she wanted to come over and touch the wall because she just kept feeling a lot of energy coming from it. Whitney seems to have some sensitivities as well. And so she wanted to touch it. So I was like, okay, I'll get out of the way. So I went and stood in between Daryl and Kelly in front of this little desk thing. And Daryl actually had asked if I wanted to sit down. I was like, no, no, I'm fine with standing for a while. So the recorder is behind me at about my waist level. And then I have my recorder, which is up about at my shoulder height, because I have it in this little pocket that I have on my bag so that I don't have to be carrying it the whole time. Throughout the evening, Ray was going through a lot of the evidence that we were catching to see if we got any EVP. He was in an office that was off of, it was inside the main house in this little office area. And I mean, they had a bunch of screens in there so that they could watch all the cameras throughout the house and everything. So a little bit later, he asked Kelly and I to please come in and listen to something because he had seen where we were standing in relation to this recorder. And so he knew that we had been in the vicinity of this. And he goes, can you listen to this? Is this either one of you saying anything? And I'm going to go ahead and play their version. And then when I listened to our recordings later, I picked up the same thing. So here is theirs first. I'm walking across the reaction. Oh, and I'll go ahead and play it again. I'm walking across the reaction. Oh. And one more time. I'm walking across the reaction. Oh. Now here's ours. You can feel the vibration in that brick. I'm walking across the reaction. Oh. And I'll play it again. You can feel the vibration in that brick. I'm walking across uh, the reaction. Oh. And then one more time. You can feel the vibration in that brick. I'm walking uh, across the reaction. Oh. Kelly, what do you make of it? I totally think it was the little boy. And what was really fun about it is, as Kelly and I were talking about it, at first people were like, well, maybe it was Whitney. But Whitney's talking through that whole thing and underneath it. And to me... The space that's in there would not fit for Whitney's voice to have made it. And I don't know why she would have made a sound to me that sounds almost like a childlike laugh. And I didn't know what Kelly was experiencing other than she said that she felt like there was a little boy who was crouched next to her. She didn't tell me at the time that he was almost playing peekaboo with her, kind of peeking out of this thing and then smiling or laughing and then going back. That That's kind of what she felt like he was doing. Well, then you get this recording, Kelly, where it sounds like, what was the sound that you made that you felt like he was doing? It was like he was poking out going, ha-ha, he like just, ah, you know, just being silly, just being mischievous and being like, you know, I know you know I'm here. <laughs> and then when you listen to what we think is the EVP, it sounds like a little kid who was making that sound. So to me, that just validates what you were picking up on that. Hey, listeners, breaking in really quick here. Myra contacted me because she'd been listening to some of her audio and she picked up something a little peculiar here. I'm going to go ahead and play it for you. When the slaves were freed, they made a business of yeah. selling fried chicken yeah. to the customers on the trains right out here on the train tracks. Actually going back and forth. Yeah. It's not Oh, I'm not a boss here. Yeah, I'm just trying to leave off one. There's three different ones. It's going to go on the door. 
What you should have heard there sounds like our little boy from the kitchen house again. This is a totally different piece of audio. It's about 17 minutes after the first one that we captured. And this is actually when Kelly and I are upstairs doing a dousing rod session. So we weren't even downstairs for this part. I'm going to go ahead and play it again. When the slaves were freed, they made a business of selling fried chicken to the customers on the trains right out here on the train tracks. Actually going back and forth. Yeah. And one more time. When the slaves were freed, they made a business of selling fried chicken to the customers on the trains right out here on the train tracks. Actually going back and forth. Yeah. The really cool thing about catching something like this is that In the back of our minds, we could have believed that maybe somebody in our group made that noise, but to get the same kind of noise in the same location, 17 minutes apart, that's a pretty big coincidence. So I think we really did have some child or little boy hanging out in this kitchen house making a noise around us. Then Kelly and I decided that we would go upstairs. So we went into the first room, and this would have been the room that would have been Olivia's. And I got some new dousing rods for Kelly for Christmas, because for those of you who've listened to our previous investigations, you know that one of our dousing rods would always stick, and so it wouldn't swing quite the way that it should. So I would got her some new ones, because I'm like, well, these ones hopefully will swing a little bit better. They have bigger handles on them, so they're easier to hold. And... We felt like we got a little bit of interactions up there. Yeah, we were definitely getting interactions. They were just more subtle than what I've had in other locations. And when she says subtle, she means that it would take a while for the dousing rods to cross or move away from each other. And we also learned a new technique that we started using with them. Right. So I used to just clear them out after every question. But one of our investigations that we did, one of the gals was using hers And she was one of the guides and she would just ask the spirit to reset them, to just set them straight. And then she'd ask another question. And so I've started using that in our investigations. And at this location, it seemed more challenging for the spirits to respond and for them to clear them out. I don't really know what to make of that. And it may just be a situation where they're brand new rods to me. I I really don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't know a lot of the science behind it, but we were definitely getting clear answers. It just seemed like it was more of an effort for them to be moved. And in the beginning, I'm pretty certain we were communicating with the little boy. And it was interesting because he would interact with us. And then all of a sudden he would just, I could just feel him go. I think at the time, because most of the people were still downstairs, he was running down. I just got this overwhelming sense that he was super excited that everybody was there. And he would just run down and interact with them and check them out and then come back up to us. And the interesting thing about that, Kelly, is that Skye said the same thing. Because we went outside and she asked us if we'd had any kind of interactions when we were upstairs. Because it was pretty much just Kelly and I that had gone upstairs. A couple other people kind of wandered up. But then they went back down and we're all sitting downstairs and visiting and stuff like that. And when Kelly had told her about that, she goes, yeah, I would feel like there was... She goes, there was definitely felt like there was a little boy there. And she goes, he would like go away. 
And then he would come back all of a sudden. And then he'd go away and he'd come back all of a sudden. And I mentioned this guy. I said, I wish we could have like a camera pulled away from the house and one of the walls is gone so you can see the upstairs and the downstairs. And it would have been fun if we could have compared like when we were getting interactions with the dousing rods because we could definitely tell when it was like, okay, nothing's here all of a sudden. And then there would be something there again. Did he just run downstairs and now he's messing with Sky? Now he's running back upstairs and messing with us up there. Yeah, and I think part of that could be, you know, because of the fact that it's been closed up for so long with COVID that they haven't had the usual interactions and tours coming through. So they're possibly kind of bored. Especially you think little kids when they like to play and stuff that they haven't had anybody there to play with. So the energy the entire evening felt almost this kind of chaotic where it's like just trying to interact with everybody and get a little piece of everything. It went for me between feeling kind of chaotic based on what other people were saying to quiet. I'd actually felt that the place was pretty quiet. Our EMF detectors, not any of them went off once. We also had our flashlight with us, and every time we would sit down to do a dousing rod session, I would set the flashlight experiment up, and it did not turn itself on once. Which, again, Kelly, to me is an indication that this isn't something that happens just because the flashlight heats up. It didn't turn on once for us, and I turned it off and on many times, so it wasn't like, well, maybe I just didn't unscrew it to the right spot or whatever. So I just felt that that was an interesting validation for the other times that we've had it turn on and off. There's also the military gentleman that is supposed to be upstairs. And we didn't have any interactions with Olivia, which is a female that's supposed to be upstairs. But the gentleman supposedly doesn't like people in there, things of that nature. I didn't get any negative feelings, but it was a a situation where you kind of felt like you were invading his space. He would answer his interactions with the dowsing rods were significantly different than with the little boy. It still was a little bit slower to react, but he did give us definitive answers. When I was asking him questions, I did ask if he wanted us to leave. And he did not react that he wanted us to leave, but yet he's known as not wanting people around. And so I just asked him if he was lonely not having people around. About that time, we were called to move to a different building to continue our investigation. So we didn't really get to complete much in that room. So we took a break, hung around outside a little bit because it was hot. So it was nice to get a chance to cool down a little bit. And then we were going to investigate the main house or the main building that's on the property But before that, we want to talk a little bit about the stairs. Now, as you heard, this woman had died on the stairs and several people had some weird feelings. Yeah, I feel like I need to start being a little bit more open than what I am because I, I don't know, I I don't express much in the moment. I kind of wait to see if other people have the same responses. But definitely when we were first going up those stairs from the kitchen to the bedrooms, I got really dizzy. And I also had like a pressure on the the top of my chest, like almost like something was trying to hold me back. But at the same time, I'm not like, oh my gosh, it's oppressive. They, They don't want us there. I'm just of the mindset that, okay, you know, I'm going to be polite and I'm going to go in there and investigate anyway. So it was fine. It was just it was just a very odd feeling. And I've had it a few different times. And initially, when I first started doing investigations, I would think, you know, oh, maybe that's me being fearful. 
or nervous. And so I'm just projecting that into myself. And honestly, I know that they told us that somebody died on the stairs, but I completely forgotten about that. I wasn't even thinking about that as I was going up the stairs. I just felt like somebody had their hand on my chest and was kind of like holding me back a little bit. And the dizziness, you know, I get vertigo. So (laughs) I usually explained it away to that. But it was interesting to find out later that a few of the other people felt identically to that. Sky had said that she almost felt like something had hit her in the head. Didn't want her to come forward or whatever. And she almost had a feeling like, yeah, migraine towards the front of her head. And then Whitney had also mentioned separately from that, that she'd felt like something was pushing on her head. And the interesting thing is Skye didn't validate it by telling her that earlier she'd had the same experience until much later. And so that kind of validated the fact that Whitney had felt like something had pushed on her head. So then we go into the main house. We went all the way up to the third floor. And they have a lot of great displays in here, different Civil War artifacts. So not only was this a place that you had a Civil War hospital where clearly people had died and lost their limbs and that kind of thing. And an interesting side story to that is, as we always discuss with these people getting their arms and legs removed, what do you do with those parts? Well, generally, they would just bury them on the property. And literally a week before we get here, Myra and Ken had been talking to a police officer the night before our investigation, and he had told them that that week before, they had found part of a leg, a human leg bone buried on the property. It was like sticking up, and they pulled it out of there. So to me, that sounds like maybe this was something that goes back to the Civil War, and they buried some body parts out there, maybe. The first room that we went into up here on the upper level had this desk in it that actually dated back to one of the regiments. They'd actually used that desk. So this is something that had had some activity connected to Civil War battles and such. As we were climbing the stairs, of course, we were holding on to the handrails. So you wanted to use hand sanitizer after you used the handrails and Kelly decided to use her own which has kind of a peach scent to it so when we get up to the first room up there to do an investigation Daryl all of a sudden goes I'm getting a a scent some kind of a scent a strange scent and then finally we figured out wait it was Kelly's hand sanitizer sorry for the the environment contamination (laughs) yeah because I think people were used to like an alcoholy smell for that so all of a sudden when you get kind of a peach smell it was like whoa this room the war room obviously this contains you know, weapons, bullets, guns, things that uh, the soldiers would have used in the war. There's also a field desk over here. That desk, I was in here one night with a group, we were doing a night tour, and there was a lady sitting where Myra was standing, and I was over here on this side, and I heard, like, something on the desk, and I finally, finally caught my attention, and, what is that? So I turned, I thought the lady was messing with stuff on the desk. She was sitting there looking at the desk like, like this there are spirits here who like to mess with the desk tapping on the glass here I see that is original desk too I thought it was 13th I think yeah I'm sorry my 13th Virginia orange particularly yeah so like so that was the original desk for the midnight black and orange came back it's used by the 13th Virginia Um, I've been in this room with the Tennessee Ray Chasers and um, Doogie said that he's felt something grab him in here. Other than just tapping on the windows. It, just, it depends on where you're at outside. It 
It sounds like it follows you. Then the room with all the beds in it, the wardroom. That, I've been in there and I've seen um, a ball roll across the floor and nobody was messing with it. Like, I mean, it had been sitting there for like 30 minutes or so and it just like rolling across the floor. And I thought I was the only one that seen it and there was a girl sitting on the bed and her eyes about to <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, it wouldn't hurt. Um, then in that room, they caught um, the little camera thing where you get like little stick figures. Sorry, I'm gonna go something wrong. So um, they caught a guy sitting on the edge of the bed, and he was like missing a leg, and said so it was kind of like bent over, like he was like eating an apple almost. Huh. And then the Freeman's Bureau, there's supposedly a guy that stays in the closet. I've had, you know, people that you know stuff a head in there, and um, they were like, oh, you know, I felt dizzy, you know. Okay, <laughs> right. Stuck my head in there, and as soon as I did, you got the same like dizziness feeling. I've been here with him before, and these doorknobs make a certain noise. And when we were on the main, I mean, the second floor, right, it was like like that. Huh. And when we went up here, traced it down, it was onto the doorknob that's like kind of like barely hanging on over there. Oh wow! To the closet. We went into a room that had a sewing machine in it, and Kelly and I kind of set ourselves up there. I put the flashlight there. We had our EMF sitting there, and then she started a dousing rod session. And we started to get an interaction, and Sky came in because she had felt something in there before. And so she wanted to observe and see what kind of interaction we were getting. And she had definitely felt like there was a female presence there, and that's what you felt like you were talking to as well, right, Kelly? Yeah, it was definitely a female, and she had worked at the location. And she she hung out for a little bit. It was interesting because as people were milling about, I would have clear-cut interactions when people weren't so much hanging around, uh, when we were just sitting there quietly. The whole thing felt very chaotic, and I don't know if it was the people that were there with us or if it was the fact that it had been locked up for a while and the spirits were anxious because all of a sudden people were there. But it was, it was really hard to get a clear mind. There was a lot going on in the space. We milled about in a couple of the rooms up there. And I was looking at a lot of the displays and stuff because I thought it was really cool. They had a ton of bullets, which makes me think that they pulled a lot of those out of that area. It was a really cool thing. If you watched, we did a Facebook Live and did it on the outside of the Exchange Hotel and we told people who had watched that video we were staying in a hotel that was about 15 minutes down the road in Orange and along the route you'd see these white signs I'm sure you guys have seen them they're the historical signs saying you know something like this happened on this thing I know one of them was the Battle of Second Manassas I think was one of them that we had passed there was the Church of the Blind Preacher don't know exactly what that was There was another one for another battle. I can't remember what the name of it was. So basically, we had a bunch of battlefields that were all around us, which would make sense because that's why you would have this Civil War hospital right there. And literally, the train goes right past the front of this. It's like right in its front yard. And we actually had the train go by as we were getting ready to leave. So they possibly could have been bringing in the wounded on trains to this hospital, too. So I told Kelly we were driving back to the hotel later on that evening. Keep watching out in the fields because there was a lot of cornfields and such. See if you see any mists or any, you know, battles going on or something like that. Then we went down to the second level. And on that level, there was some really cool displays 
The thing that I thought was the coolest is they actually had one of the surgery table there, and I can't remember, and I'm or I don't know if they said if it was from this location or another location, like out in the field or some other hospital. But when you get underneath it, you can actually see that the blood-soaked stains are on the bottom of that table. So that the, it was so soaked with blood that it had gone all the way through the wooden table. And they also had, and I'm going to post some of these pictures up on our Instagram. What, what did you, would you think that was like a hospital wagon or something that they had in there? A horse-drawn buggy type covered wagon, but they called it an ambulance. And they had a, an original picture of what it would have looked like. And then this was a replica. I took a picture of the picture. And then I also took a picture of the replica and I'll put those up on Instagram. So those were really cool. So we were all kind of gathered in that room. And then all of a sudden, Ray radioed Tracy and let her know that they had these cloth velvet ropes that blocked you off from what looked like a dining area so that we couldn't walk into it because they didn't want us to mess up the furniture or anything like that. And he had seen that rope start swaying and none of us were in that room at all. So we'd all gone in there to do a little bit of investigating and see what happened. I actually had stepped into a back room, which would have been like the hotel room or a separate room where people could have stayed. And so I was just taking pictures back there. What happened in the room, Kelly, while you guys were investigating? Supposedly there were kids and they didn't want to come as close as what we were. They were kind of hanging out towards the back. This was from the medium. Daryl had his his box device that registers the pressure, temperature, and vibration. And when it was set close to us, we weren't getting anything. When he moved it, he kind of leaned over the rope a little bit and moved it closer towards the area in which the medium said that they were kind of hanging out. She said that they felt like kind of uneasy and that they were kind of hanging back. Well, once he moved the box back there and we kept trying to converse with the spirits, then the lights started going off. So, but that that was about it for that room. I got some interaction with the dowsing rods later. And then Myra also had this light up bouncy ball. And so we took that and put that past the rope a little bit, seeing if they would want to play with it. But nothing really came of that. After everybody left the room, I still felt like I needed to be in there. So I just sat on the ground again. I don't know why I feel like I need to sit on the ground when there, I feel like when there's kids around, I need to sit on the ground and get down on their level. But that's, I don't know. That's just what I do. Unless, of course, you're falling into a chair to get down on their level like you did at Velisca. <laughs> exactly. I think that broke the ice with uh, Lena and Ina, though. <laughs> Because after that, they, they were just completely responsive and, and interacting with me. I think they were just laughing at me. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just clumsy. It's the way it is. I also decided to turn on the ghost radar and use that a little bit here and there. We didn't get a whole lot of responses on that. But while Kelly was doing her dousing rod session and trying to figure out who we were talking to, the word married came up. And then all of a sudden, we seemed to be getting more responses with the dousing rods and felt like we were talking to a man. Right. Yeah, that was a, a male. And he said that he was a patient in the hospital. Yeah. And that he passed away there. Now, Kelly asked, did you die in here? And there wasn't really anything. And then I said, did you pass away in here? And then there was a crossing of the dousing rods. So then she apologized quickly and said, oh, I'm sorry, I put it so harshly. I should have been more gentle about that. Yeah, I don't I don't even normally ask something of that nature. I'm usually, you know, nobody wants to recall that portion, I would I would imagine. So I felt I kind of felt like a jerk. (laughs) 
And it is something that we don't generally ask is, you know, do you know you're dead or are you dead or did you die here? But since it was a Civil War hospital and he talked about being a patient, you just naturally assume because I don't know why else they'd be there if they got to go home and recovered. Well, not only that, but that building served so many different purposes. It's like, well, were you here when it was a hotel? Were you here when it was a hospital? So, yeah, I mean, that's why we were expecting the activity to just be off the charts because there's just so many different angles it could be coming from. Plus, again, it's got all these Civil War artifacts in it that could have connections. And I just wonder if it didn't feel so chaotic because there could, you know, possibly be so many different spirits that you couldn't get a clear cut reaction from one over the other. Because it just, I didn't have a disconcerting feeling like any kind of negativity, just that it was a really busy environment and it was really draining. It's like you have one mic in the room and all the comedians are rushing to be the stand-up comic that's up on the mic. And that's kind of how this felt. It's like all the ghosts were wanting to talk at once and so nobody was coming through. It was almost like they were fighting over the mic and so nobody gets to use it. Or, you know, little kids playing, you know, fighting over something so you don't, nobody gets to play the game or something like that. I kind of got that feeling. Well, and I'm just so new to this that I, I'm not really sure what to make of things as of yet. You know, I'm getting there. I feel like I'm growing with it. But in terms of the chaos, I, it was just really hard to get focused on one thing, if that makes sense. It, it just felt like overwhelming and tiring. So we took another break and then we were going out to what was going to end up being the prize for the evening. On the property, they have an old train depot and this thing is in a haggard condition It has a lot of restoration to do, and Tracy's going to explain a little bit about it here. This is the original freight depot. The depot was used as store supplies before the war. Um, It was a little bit closer to the tracks. It was moved in 2013, I believe it was, Um, back to the location where it is now. As you can see, it's... uh, it's pretty much fallen apart. Um, the town has gotten a grant from the um, transportation department, and they are currently in the process of taking bids. They're going to redo the entire outside, and we will be responsible for redoing the inside. And once that gets done, we'll be able to open this up for wedding venues, banquets, things like that. We plan on putting in a full restaurant kitchen here. But during the war, the soldiers that did not survive, they were piled up in here until they could be buried or claimed. And they were piled wall to wall, floor to ceiling. There's usually a lot of activity out here in the depot. Um, If you take pictures, especially up in the rafters, um, you very well could capture a face, uh, somebody looking at you. We've had a lot of people have been touched out here. we got uh, the name, I think it was Harrison, out here before. You can imagine the, the, uh, the amount of spirits that could be out here with what it was used for. If anybody wants to ask questions, please feel free to ask questions. Yeah, when we were here uh, back in February, uh, we were all out here, we were just like this, and we are pretty much staying where we are now, and we actually, a bunch of saw a shadow not only left to right several times and back and forth. Uh, I saw it, Brian from Ghost Hunter saw it, so Mustafa and some of the other people who were with us. 
there too. We saw the Tom Yeah, yeah, that's right. At first, we weren't getting a whole lot of interactions. There were people who were thinking they were seeing stuff. There were a lot of stories that people would tell about experiences that they'd had here. Daryl's had plenty of experiences with shadow beings. He had put his equipment that we've been talking about before where you can feel the pressure and everything on the very far end. And to give you an idea of how we are, I'm still pretty close to where we first entered into the depot. Kelly was over on the very far end, and that's where Daryl was, where the equipment was. And then everybody was kind of dispersed between the two of us. So Kelly and I were nowhere near each other. So neither one of us is going to know about the other person's experience right away. Kelly, why don't you share your stuff? Well, (laughs) this again is where I'm saying I need to become more open and kind of pay attention a little bit more thoughtfully as to what's going on with myself and what I'm feeling because it didn't even clue in for me until this morning. (laughs) Early on when we first got in there, I had moved pretty much to the far end of the building opposite of where you were and the majority of the other people were all kind of in between in a group. And at one point, I felt like I had a copper taste in my mouth. And the dowsing rods are made of copper. And I started thinking, gosh, you know, with, with all the germs and everything, I hope I didn't like put my fingers in my mouth. You know, maybe there's some kind of transfer from the, the copper of the dowsing rods. And, and now I'm tasting it. And I got kind of like paranoid about germs and stuff at that moment. This morning, I started thinking about the fact that, well, they had piled bodies in this depot during the war when it was the hospital building. And some of the people, they got the sense that maybe they weren't completely dead yet. They were like on the edge. And <laughs> I realized that, well, that, that feeling of copper in your mouth, that's, that's like blood. <laughs> yes, Kelly, blood tastes like copper and you had a mouthful of it. <laughs> grief. I, yeah, I, I feel pretty dense sometimes when something like that occurs later when I make that realization. But again, I just need to start being a little bit more mindful and, and <laughs> I don't know. I was just kind of floored when that realization came this morning. She was when she first started talking about it because she said, you know, I got this copper taste in my mouth and I kept thinking that somehow I had transferred it from the dousing rods to my mouth. And In the age of COVID, there's no way we're sticking our fingers in our mouth when we're at a public gathering like this. And so she's like, I'm I'm sure I didn't do that. And so when she started thinking about it, she's like, wait a minute, this place would have been full of blood. There was another experience that you had in there, too. About halfway through our time in there, (laughs) and I actually asked Daryl about this because I I don't know what gunpowder smells like, but I randomly had this scent and it probably only lasted for 15 seconds or so, if even that. But what it reminded me of are the little, the, the cap guns, the little red strip with the little dots on it that you could like hit with a hammer or you put in the little kid's cap gun and it would make that scent after it exploded. And so I asked him, I said, does gunpowder smell like these you know I started referencing the little red strips and he's like yeah that's what it smells like it's it's black powder or whatever I was like oh okay but I didn't I didn't elaborate with them or anything that <laughs> I had smelled that I just I wanted some clarification for myself yeah so I think maybe you were getting some kind of a residual smell we don't know maybe a battle would have happened because the thing with this depot is that I think Tracy had explained this too, that it wasn't exactly in this location, that they'd had to move it just a little bit. They moved it like something like 300 feet. 
and part of it's not there too. It was a, a longer building at one time, I think. And so part of it's still not there. So I think it's a possibility that you got a little bit of a gun smoke smell. As the evening's progressing and our EMF is never going off, the flashlight is never turning on, the dousing rods, you know, we're getting a little bit of communication, but it wasn't real strong communication like what we're used to. And like Kelly said, we want to experiment more with these new dousing rods. Maybe they work a little bit differently. We need to get more of a feel for them. I don't know. But I'm thinking in the back of my head, this place is really pretty quiet compared to its history. You would think it would be off the chart. And then when you think this place has been closed up for three to four months, again, maybe off the chart because the spirits are like, wow, there's people here again to feed off their energy. Then you've got our energy. We've all been locked down for months and now we're finally out and getting to do what we love to do. So you just think this place is going to just be, whoa, because I was really expecting some incredible stuff. So I'm thinking this in my head, and while I'm thinking these things, Whitney is standing in front of me, and occasionally she was saying she felt like something was poking her in the back or touching her on the back. And we were having a few other people saying things and stuff. And I don't do a lot of talking when I'm doing when we're doing these investigations. I'm very introverted and keep to myself. But all of a sudden, I had the strangest sensation, and the only way that I can explain it. At first, I was like, if you guys have ever gone to somewhere where they have those little electricity balls and you can touch it and it makes your hair stand up on end. I don't know if they have them anymore, but I remember doing this when I was a kid. And there's a picture of my sister and I, and we both had hair down to like the middle of our backs and our hair is sticking straight up. So they're these really funny pictures. But I remember what that feeling felt like. Kelly did an even better description for what it was like. If you've ever rubbed, and hey, kids who are listening, try this at home. Blow up a balloon or rub it really vigorously on the side of your head. You're going to create static electricity and then pull it away from your head slowly and your hair is going to stick to it. And it's a really cool feeling. If you do that, you're going to know exactly what I'm going to describe to you. I have a fairly small head. Most baseball hats do not fit me. I have to tighten them pretty tight. So it would be very easy for a man to come up and basically palm the entire back of my head. And that's what I felt like happened. I felt like something had almost palmed the back of my head and then pulled away from me. And I felt like my hair sticking up as if this balloon was pulling it away from me. And I could feel like this static electricity around the back of my head. And it was such a, a weird sensation and so vigorous that I immediately yelled out. And I will play the audio here of it and what happened after that. I feel like something's touching the back of my head. Daryl is all the way on the other side of this depot up where Kelly is. And he comes back right away with his equipment. And at first in my head, I'm just thinking, well, maybe I'm getting like a goosebumpy feeling. And I'm just getting a, a sensation around my head. And it's just, again, my imagination. Because that's always what I go to first. But when he comes over with the equipment and starts getting some readings, it really convinced me that something was happening here. Something just touched the back of my head. Yeah. I've never been touched before. That was really I weird. Felt something tapping on my shoulder blades back here earlier. Yeah, they're, they're definitely. That was weird. It felt almost um, kind of electrical, like when you have mm-hmm. static electricity making your hair move. Felt right. like a pop on my shoulder blade, mm-hmm. just like that. Did you take those pictures that way? Did you see something? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you sense something or was there anything? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this has been... Put the EBI over there to see if you're capturing Back behind us. Yeah, yeah. we're all behind. There's something about that corner over there, too. Oh, yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah. We're getting, we're getting pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I've never been touched before. That was really weird. Yeah, they've, they've been touching me. Oh, look, you're getting pressure spikes on you, right next to you. It's the strangest. Actually, I can feel it. It's on my arm right now. Yeah. It was weird. You were getting like two or three pressure. Yeah. It's, that's very strange. You shouldn't be getting anything like that. Not out here, that's for sure. Are you touching her? Are you still here? I wonder if for some reason they're thinking you're one of them, Diane, because of the short haircut. I don't know. It was really strange. It felt almost kind of like when somebody comes up and palms the back of your head. Yeah. Yeah. There. There. It's. It hasn't been like anything other than a gentle touch. Yeah. Right. It just felt kind of static, like a static electricity. Yeah. Like my hair yeah, felt like it was pulling gentle. away from my head. And mm-hmm. I feel it on my other arm now. Yeah. It's strange. There's a like right here. Yeah. They, wow. Somebody likes you here. So a lot of times I don't say anything if I see things, especially in the dark, because I'm afraid that my eyes are playing tricks on me. But a few minutes ago when we were all still, I turned and I looked your way and you were blacked out. Part of you was blacked out, almost like a head was blocking me from seeing you. Uh-huh. And so I turned away and I turned and looked again and I could see you, you know, cause you're, the light from your phone shows your whole body. Yeah. So there very well could be somebody in here. So as you guys heard there, as he's bringing the equipment over to me and he's getting these readings, that static electricity kind of feeling, I start feeling that going down my left arm. And it was just the strangest thing. And so I like started holding my arm out because I'm like, whoa. And then again, a little bit later, I started feeling it going down my right arm. Well, as I'm describing this to Kelly later, who has been touched several times and had her hair played with several times, you basically validated that that's what it feels like. Yeah, exactly. It it doesn't feel like a, a physical pressure of somebody pushing down and touching you. Now, granted, I haven't had any aggressive type touching. I know that some people have said that they felt like, you know, they got shoved or their arm was grabbed or something of that nature. I haven't had that. It's always been very, very gentle, but it feels like you can... It's the energy running along your body, like, and it's creating that physical pressure, but it's an energy type feeling. You can feel like the vibration of it or the, like the static type feel of it. So all of a sudden this very quiet evening for me got very exciting. I was just like, oh my God, there we go. Another experience I've never had before. Sky eventually starts to feel pretty ill in here and overwhelmed with the emotions. She was picking up on a 15-year-old young man who had been wounded, and she's not sure that he was dead before he was put in here. They think that maybe some of the people that were put in the depot weren't quite dead yet. And she got a feeling that that was what had happened to him. And he just kept coming to her and being like, he wanted to talk to his mama. He wanted to go home to his mama. He was very confused about what was going on. She finally goes outside and I saw her standing out on the porch and I didn't know why they were kind of out in that outer area. She and her husband, I thought maybe she had seen something out there. And so she went out to check it out. And then finally they were gone. And later on, we were talking to her afterward. She not only was feeling sick, she got sick and then she'd been crying. And you could tell that she had definitely been crying. So she was pretty upset about what had happened because she's a mother, has three children herself. And so she could feel what it would have felt like to him to be confused and just want to go home to his mother. Well, she's not the only one who was feeling 
not so well. Myra later on told us that she was feeling nauseous when she was in there and feeling pretty sick. Whitney had had the same experience. And then, Kelly, you had a weird manifestation that you've never had before. We don't know if it has anything to do with this or if it was just something particular to you just in general. Right. Yeah, I I got a, a very bad tinnitus, a very bad ringing in my ears. And it was it was so loud that it it made it actually kind of hard to hear the conversations that were going on around me. And that happened. It started right around the time when Sky went out and I, I felt like I needed to exit the building, but I could tell that she wasn't doing really well. So I didn't want to go out there and be like, you know, in her space, I guess, essentially. I just wanted to give them a minute because Ashley, her husband, had taken her out there too. So I was trying to stay in the room, but it... I just felt like I needed to leave. And the tinnitus, when I went outside, it quieted down. And then when I went back in, it came back. And it didn't leave until I was actually off that porch and outside of the depot. Kelly, you know what I love is when we record these things and we haven't necessarily discussed everything that has happened in the evening, we kind of pick up on stuff. Like Velisca, I had not told you that I'd seen those little white streaks and then when we were recording the episode, or you mentioned, well, I'm not sure I saw the purple, but I did see these little white streaks on the ceiling. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you saw those? Because I hadn't said anything to you about them because I really thought that was just my eyes playing tricks. So when all of a sudden you'd seen it, too, I was like, holy crap, we both saw something trying to manifest. Well, as you were talking and I was thinking about what would cause somebody to have because... Last night, you just kept saying, my tinnitus is going crazy because you and I both have it. I think most of us adults are have it because we've had so many concerts and we listen to headphones all the time. I've always got headphones on when I'm editing the show. So I think we all have some form of tinnitus. So when she kept saying that, I was just like, well, it's probably something particular to her. But right now, you just said... It was like you had this ringing in your ears. Okay, so you've gone into the depot. You have a blood taste in your mouth. You've smelled gun smoke or gunpowder. And now you have a ringing in your ears. What causes somebody's ears to ring? Can you think? What if somebody shot a gun off or a cannon went off right near you? What would your ears do? I suppose they'd be ringing. (laughs) It'd be really hard to hear somebody talking to you because your ears would be doing that heavy duty ringing where you can't hear. I just, it just occurred to me because last night you just said tinnitus. So I'm just thinking that weird noise that I get in my ears when I'm going to sleep at night. But when you said ringing in your ears, I went, well, wait, what would make your ears ring? I've heard, I don't know for sure. I've never experienced it, but I have had like fireworks and stuff go off. And we've had loud noises that cause you to have a a feeling where all of a sudden you can't hear. Or even when you've been to a concert that's really loud, you can't hear people have things muffled. And that's the way you just described it. (laughs) Again, I feel like I need to get more in tune with what's going on around me. So I clue in at the time instead of always having these realizations after the fact. So we had a great end to our evening. We said goodbye to Myra and Ken and Whitney. We had such a great time with them. Thank you so much, Myra, for finding out about this, putting it out there. And we're really glad that we made the trip. And then I let Whitney know about it. She's like, I'll be there too. So it was just a really cool experience all the way around. Just a really fun group of people. We had an interesting evening for sure. Is the Exchange Hotel haunted? That? is for for you to to decide. decide. Well, Kelly, what do you think about returning there eventually someday? I would love to. I would too. It's so funny because for a while I was going, oh boy, this place, you know, just seems so quiet. Not a whole lot of activity going on. 
But then based on the experiences that we had in the depot and then you and I talking later, I was like, this place was incredibly active on a personal level. Exactly. So it wasn't something that we could share with people on a scientific level and say, look at all this evidence that we collected using our equipment. It was more of what did you feel? What did you experience? What did I feel? What did I experience? I got the same feeling from Whitney and Myra and Ken that we all were just having very personal experiences that evening rather than big, wow, something just manifested. Uh, We see a shadow figure, that kind of thing. And we caught it on video or catching a bunch of EVPs or having our EMFs going crazy. It was actually a really fantastic experience. And it just goes to show that we don't always need our devices going off to prove in the long run a type of interaction that was actually had. Exactly. In the depot, we could have walked in there without anything. And you and I would have walked out of there going, whoa. To have everything come to a head in terms of putting the pieces together after the fact Mm -hmm. really blew my mind. And again, on another personal level, I feel like each time we go out and hunt, you develop more of your skills, (laughs) if you call quote unquote skills. And it also helps teach me that I need to be a little bit more mindful and look a little bit more directly into what I'm experiencing. Because like I said before, with the copper taste in my mouth, my skeptical mind immediately goes to, well, I'm putting my hands in my mouth. I must have been handling my dowsing rods. Mm -hmm. And then you combine that with the smell of the Mm -hmm. (laughs) gunpowder. And then on top of that, the extreme ringing in my ears where I couldn't hear very well. I wasn't piecing it together until after the fact. Mm -hmm. Once all that got pieced together, it's really kind of mind blowing. It's a completely different experience than anything I've ever had before. Yeah. Well, Kelly, now that the country is starting to open up more, we're going we to have more more ghost hunts. I know there's going to be more <laughs> opportunities for this. So you guys, hey, if we're going somewhere, please join us. We drove 13 hours. So absolutely. Wherever you are in the woods, you know, drive a couple hours. Yes, because we have so much fun and we love meeting you guys. We'd love to have you check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Kelly, we got some real mail today. We did? Yes. And I pull it out of the mailbox and it's decorated all over the outside with monsters. I There's love it. mummies and <laughs> haunted trees and pumpkins. I was so excited when you showed me the envelope. <laughs> this is from our young listener, Mo, and he had drawn this picture. So he mailed it to us. His mom had shared it in the Spooktacular crew. And so Kelly's like, mail that to us. We'd love to have it. (laughs) I was hoping they would share. (laughs) We're turning uh, basically the studio into a gallery of artwork from these kids. We are. And we just love it because it's just so personal. And to know that we have kids who are listening, it just solidifies the decision that I made to try to keep it clean. Even though some of the topics we deal with are a little bit adult in nature, I remember I was totally digging this stuff when I was a kid. So I wanted to make it so that they could listen to and enjoy it. Definitely. So thank you, Mo, for your artwork. We'll be getting it framed and putting it up in the uh, Spooktacular studio. We appreciate it so much, Mo. Thank you. And then we also heard from Kathy and the crew. Kelly, this last week, the bonus cast that I put up is about the haunted golf clubs in Virginia. And Kathy had listened to that and she said, Diane, just listen to the Haunted Golf Clubs of Virginia. I live in Virginia Beach and have a story about the Princess Anne Country Club. I have a friend who rented a small house with her two young daughters on the edge of the country club. One day her girls came out of their room screaming that there was a man in their room. 
My friend Denise was in the kitchen. Thinking there was an intruder in the house, she grabbed a knife and went down the hallway towards the bedroom he was in. Before She's she- brave. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. I'd be like, grab the kids and get the hell out. Before she got there, the man came out, looked over at her, but never said a word. He turned and walked into her room and went straight through her closet door. When she opened up the closet door, which again, brave. <laughs> Definitely. Of course, no one was in there. She said he was dressed in a Civil War uniform and carried a rifle. I wanted to add that they didn't stay there long. Weird things kept happening, but that was the weirdest. The kids were always scared. I know the few times I went there, the house did have a creepy vibe. I felt it before I knew anything about their experiences. So that kind of validates the fact that uh, this country club is also haunted. It used to be a farm at one time. So probably something going on in that land. Sure. Although it kind of sounds residual. Well, I would think maybe a battle if it's a Confederate soldier. Certainly. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us, Kathy. want to thank all of you for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by StoryWorth and our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Wes Hawkins for his donation and Lauren Campbell for her donation. And Wes, I've been told by Mort that he is designing a neon sign a la Beetlejuice for you, (laughs) which I think is just perfect. We also want to welcome back to the cemetery Jules Havlicek. She had sponsored us for a long time, had to go away for a little bit, but she is back. We're going to be putting her back into a chest tomb. And then welcome into the cemetery. Mo, our little artist, is now sponsoring us too. Yay. Thank you so much, Mo. And Mort is creating someplace very special just for you. And it's going to have a really cool marble headstone. I can already guarantee you that. And then in chest tombs, we're going to be burying Meredith Wilson, Ernesto, and Katie Meeks. And of course, all of you will be getting stickers and magnets in the mail. Thank you so much for supporting HGB, you guys. We really couldn't do it without you. Sweet dreams. Some of our sp- join us. Some of our spectacular. Does that <laughs> help you say spectacular better? No, but I don't record well right after eating. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All that phlegm in the back of the throat. <laughs> uh, need another cigarette. Thanks. Unfortunately, the Omohondra. Unfortunately, the Omohondra. Omohondro. Omohondro. I said it right the first time, just fine. Why can't I do it now? During Reconstruction, the hotel would become the Freedmen's Bureau Hospital.